Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. to the Underdog Jets podcast with Wayne Corbett and Robbie Sabo. That's right, Jets fans. This is the Underdog Jets podcast, the most unique podcast in the Jets space because of a couple of reasons. Number one, the host, Wayne Corbett. Number 80, who's career and personality fits this name of the podcast perfectly and number two because we have a former jet whose perspective is going to allow us to dig through history and relive some of those great moments from the past you know monday night miracle uh parcells the regime uh, from 98 to 97 98 99 all that stuff grow in 2000 herm edwards so I'm excited. I think it's going to be the most unique Jets podcast out there. And number 80, Wayne Corbett, how you doing? I'm doing great, man. Good to be joining you, Robbie. I appreciate it. And uh, I'll tell you what, and I said this on the call earlier, you are the, un- other than Joe Namath, who's, you know, it's been, it's been some decades now. You probably are the second most beloved Jet of all time. <laughs> You're going to chuckle, right? You're going to be modest. Right. You're going to be modest, but it's, it's legit. You probably it, it, are that guy. Yeah, it's, um, it's weird. You know, from when I came out, people considered me every man, you know, and I'd see people coming out of, you know, Benz's, Mercedes Benz's wearing my jersey and guys rolling up on Harleys in my jersey, black, white, you know, didn't matter what, what, what people were. They just kind of took to me. Uh, male, female, whatever it is. And I just knew that right from then and there, you know, I had a responsibility to represent them, you know, the every man and guys like that, the underdogs and uh, people took to me because of it, but don't be mistaken, man. I, you know, I, I always thought about the fans when I was out there. That's why I fought for the extra inch, the extra yard. Cause I knew they were cheering for me and you know what? I never got booed in my whole career. And I'm so grateful that I still have that connection with the fans. It's such a unique story. It really is. I mean, Garfield, New Jersey, walk on, UDFA. I mean, you can't write a Hollywood script like that. I mean, I, honestly, it's it's incredible. And I think the biggest thing is people related to you. They they saw someone they can relate to. Right. New Jersey, New York, Northern New Jersey, guys who are workmen like who who would do anything to get the job done. I think that was the number one thing they could fully relate, and that was what got you over that hump and put you in this class where I call you the second most beloved. Actually, you might be the most beloved now, now that it's 2021, but we'll, we'll, uh, we'll give it to old Joe, of course. 
It's nice to hear. You know, I tell people I've been retired like 15 years now. You know, this just past summer, you know, it's the anniversary of my uh, 25 years ago, my first training camp. But uh, like I said, just to still feel that, I understood what it was like to be in those stands, you know, scalping tickets on Route 17 and sitting in like row triple Z rooting for the for the Jets and the Giants. So I understood what people wanted to see. You know what I mean? So uh, like just to have that connection with them was great. You know, if I'm considered one of the most beloved you know, I got a lot to give back. I got a lot of thanks to give to family, friends, you know, teammates, coaches. You know, I know we're going to talk about some of them, but that's why I'm doing podcasts. You know, get a chance to give back. And like you said, the big thing is giving my perspective, you know, on some of the things that went down during my career and obviously my perspective of what's going on in the future of this team. Yeah. And, you know, as a Jets fan, you can't be more excited than right now because it's there's a different feel in the atmosphere it's there are true football people in the building now obviously it's the nfl so yeah there's football people everywhere but when you feel the difference and i felt it at rookie minicamp when you feel the difference it's noticeable and it's the example of a phone call like when zach wilson got drafted the first thing robert sala told him was hey kid don't feel the pressure don't feel like you have to lift us uh we're as an organization going to lift you and to hear something like that is so refreshing. Uh, the job of a head coach isn't just X's and O's it's to connect. It's to get the most out of a player, you know, you know, having Parcells there with you. Um, and Sala and the coaching staff, Joe Douglas, he's been here for a little bit now, but you got to give him at least two drafts. And this is the second draft. And what he's done with the offensive line, you know, not drafting a first-round offensive lineman since 2006, not having an edge rusher since John Abraham, really, a legit scary edge rusher. The fact that he might have solved those two things is huge. Um, so what do you think about the, the new regime overall? I think they're doing a great job. You know, I loved what Joe Douglas did last year. Obviously, you know, they gave him, I believe it was a six-year contract. I'm not saying it's going to take six years, but you can't just have a guy come in for one or two drafts and expect everything to turn around. You know, the thing he did last year, a lot of one-year deals to these guys to see who panned out. Uh, it's it's tough. You can see a guy who comes in, you know, wants to make his mark, and he's got all that salary cap money. And what what he, what's the natural thing to do is just start spending, spending on household names, you know, appeasing the fans and, uh, you know, and, and, and doing things like that. But he did it smart. You know, one-year deals, you know, a couple three-year deals to guys that maybe will still be around. You know, some of those guys panned out, and they resigned them, some didn't, and they move on. But like I said, you know, you see what happened this year in the first ace, uh, free agency. The Patriots, they got everybody, all these household names. And we got guys that, are, if you look at it, you know, they're, they're not household names, but they're great players, great locker room guys. So they're really surrounding these young players with some good veterans, and, um, and they did a great job in the draft as well. Yeah, the Pats, they, they went crazy this offseason, right? Yeah. I mean uh, – in the media, I heard some guys trying to say, this is what this is what they do sometimes. Not really. I mean, to, to finish number one by a large margin with guaranteed money is, and yeah. overall money, that's not like the Pats. You know, tracing it back, they haven't done that, I don't think, ever in the Belichick era and definitely not in the last 10 years. So it's interesting what they do there. You know, we remember Le'Veon Bell, C.J. Mosley, two off seasons ago. Right. You want it to work out, but – when you sign a, not all positions are equal. When you sign a running back without an offensive line, it, it's yeah. tough sledding. It's just tough sledding. You know, you as a receiver, you know, the offensive line, 
uh, raises the the production ceiling of everyone else on that offense. Same with the pass rush with the defense. Um, but yeah, NFL draft, uh, Douglas's second draft is complete. Zach Wilson is the guy and the biggest thing this offseason, Jets fans were divided. I wouldn't say it was a 50-50 split win, but it was maybe 25-75 or, you know, 15-85, um, you know, in favor of trading away Darnold and going with Zach Wilson, the right. BYU kid. Uh, where did you land on that whole scenario? Well, people are always going to wonder, could they have done it with Sam? Uh, I don't know. You know, there's certainly – doing a lot more as far as surrounding Zach with parts, you know, like uh, offensive weapons and, and offensive line. So he's definitely coming into a better situation than Sam had. You know, Sam was kind of up against it from the start. And it's tough for a young kid. He's really young to come in and, you know, have to deal with all that and deal with the media and everything. I don't think he really was given a chance. Um, I don't question whether they should have kept him or not. And I tell people, yeah, I don't know how you feel about it, but uh, this is a good thing that we have Zach. I, I wish Sam the best, except for the first game of the year when uh, <laughs> when they're playing the Jets. Yeah, how but, about uh, that? This kid is special. You can't, you couldn't pass on on Zach Wilson. Yeah, how you about had that? To, like get that that new, uh, you know, it's their quarterback. It's this regime's, you know, it's their guy. You know, I mean, how Sam about- wasn't their guy, so uh, you know they're gonna they're gonna live and die with him. How about that? The NFL, the tricky NFL scheduling Carolina and the yeah. Jets in week one. Um, yeah, you're right. They, Darnold was up against it he, off the field. He was the true, truest pro. Like he yeah. was Derek Jeter, like in yeah. the way he handled himself off the field. Right. I mean, you were really good in that regard too. Uh, he knew what he was doing. And from all regards, Zach Wilson is kind of similar. You know, a lot of people didn't know how he would handle New York, handle right. And it's still early, obviously. Um, one of the one of the quotes, early quotes that I noticed was Wilson was pleasantly surprised that this was kind of uh, not city life, you know, quote unquote. You know, yeah. Northern Jersey. I don't think he quite knew what to expect uh, Florham Park, uh, Morristown, New Jersey, to be like. So he was pleasantly surprised about that. But I think he he's handling it well. And there's no better place. I mean, with Douglas, with the organization, the hierarchy lined up the way it is, there's no better place to win, right? Yeah. Um, you know, he's in Florham Park right now. You know, he isn't – the season hasn't started, and, you know, he's in glitz and glamour in New York City. But, uh, you know, it's you see, how he, you see how he reacts going from Provo to the media capital of the world. He's handling it great right now. He's saying all the right things. He's always spending extra time out there with the linemen and receivers. But like I said, they saw enough in him to make him that big second-round pick, the second pick in the draft. And I believe, I believe in this kid. I mean, you can't just tell by a workout, but I saw enough of a game film on him that I think he might be the answer. But you can't just plug one guy in and that be it. That's why I said they're doing a great job surrounding him with, uh, with his talent. I mean, like I said, it wasn't household names with Cole, um, you know, and then bringing in Elijah Moore, uh, Corey Davis. These guys are talented. I mean, he's got some weapons right now. So, um, you know, if he could just get on the same page with them, you know, they're going to come out firing. It's not going to take very long to show what he can do. Yeah, I mean, and the trade-up for Elijah Vera Tucker, if you think about it, Douglas has drafted two first-round offensive linemen in two drafts which equals the last 14 years combined. Yeah, he so, was a top 10 talent. I mean, yeah. he, they, would they trade from 23 to 14 to get him? 
Yes. I mean, he could play anywhere on the line. I mean, between him and Becton, they, they got a nice, young, solid uh, foundation there. Yeah, that left side is killer. And they traded 23 and their two-thirds to jump up to 14. All the analytic guys are, are calling it a loss for the Jets, but you can't go purely based on analytics. Right. I, lo- I like analytics as a tool, but it's, it's got to be analytics and experience, you know, the, the football experience combined to get to that end result. So, I, I, you know, it surprised me. I'll be honest. It surprised me. I didn't think Douglas would trade up, but I love the move. Um, third round, they – well, obviously, no third round. Second round, it was um, Elijah Moore. And that was another surprising one because when you looked at the roster as a whole, receiver didn't look like a, a pressing need. Yeah, they needed, needed a receiver, but it wasn't pressing. I never thought it was complete. With Corey Davis, who I love, Mims, who I love, Jamison Crowder, who I love, they were still missing that guy who could threaten the edge. Like right. if you watch KC and and over the last decade, how I kind of look at it like this, the Wildcat surprised everyone and it just burst onto the scene, which led into the read option, a lot of zone read with quarterbacks. People started realizing the quarterback wouldn't get killed on the edge because the league's gotten softer. Suddenly jet sweeps come and start infiltrating the league and the NFL has become more college-like. So you need that, that playmaker, that weapon who could threaten the edge Crowder as good as he is in the slot, you know, running routes in between the ears. He's just not that guy. So Elijah Moore does that and more the guy, the guy does everything. What do you think about uh, Zach Wilson's new slot guy? Uh, (laughs) I think he's explosive, like a Tyreek Hill kind of guy. And I didn't know much about him. I, I follow college sports, college football, and, uh, you know, I'd seen him. But to go back and look at some film and see some of his highlights, I mean, this kid's got crazy talent. I know yeah. I saw, you know, in the draft the draft room, uh, you know, how excited they were when he fell to them. And I know, you know, my Crowder might be the odd man out. and I was a big fan of his. But, you can, like I said, these are young guys, you know, that I just want to play. And just, uh, you know, want to make a name for themselves. Like I said, Corey and, and Keelan coming in and uh, add this kid in there. Um, you know, you, I know, you know, it's great. He's a defensive coach, Salah, but he comes in and he goes uh, quarterback, you know, lineman, receiver, running back with Carter. Mm-hmm. And then he went defense, linebackers, cornerback, cornerback, linebacker, cornerback. I mean, he did he did what he needed to do for Zach, you know, and then he, he filled in the spots that he need on defense. Yeah, I mean, how about yeah? You said you saw the reaction in the in the war room with Douglas. Yeah. I I don't know about you, but I was ready to run through a wall with the way Douglas <laughs> reacted. That's the most emotion I've seen out of Douglas so far. I mean, yeah. Geez. Statistically, though, this kid's off the charts. Yeah. For for what he did, um. So I'm excited to see him see him out there. Like I said, I'd, I'd hate for Crowder to be the odd man out, but he's a good player. He'll land on his feet somewhere. It's interesting. I mean, they'll save a decent chunk of money with Crowder, but you know, injuries happen. And especially at this group for the Jets the last few years, uh, sidebar, one of the more underrated things they've done, which I love is that new injury prevention program. I think that's stuff like that for a football culture, a football program is huge, but Hey, injuries happen. I'm, I don't know what they're going to do with Crowder. If they keep them, Hey, that works. If they don't, I, I completely understand, but more he's going to play slot. He's going he's gonna to return kicks. He could even take a handoff or two. And yeah, uh, fourth round was Carter, as you mentioned. Uh, two Michael Carters, which is interesting. A, a nice little um, twist. I guess it's MC1 and MC squared or MC2. 
Yeah. If I'm Michael Carter, the DB, I'm I'm patenting the uh, MC squared nickname right away. Yeah. That's a tremendous one. And then uh, the rest of the way, defensive players. And what I took, my major takeaway was this league is different. You know, converting these two safeties, uh, Sherwood and the kid from Florida State, who I'll call Ham because I'm still having trouble pronouncing his last name. Uh, that's his nickname, Ham. Playing, competing for that will spot, probably with Blake Cashman. They want a defense that, yes, you need to play nickel in this 11 personnel world, but you need a defense that doesn't have to be forced to play nickel. And Solid did that a lot in San Fran. So with Joyner at safety, who could cover the slot, and Ham and Sherwood at will, you could play a zone against 11 personnel. Um, but I-, I love the draft overall. W- what are your thoughts on the, the uh, Carter and the rest of the way? Yeah. Um, those, and those guys, like I said, could come down and play in the box. Right. Um, another thing is these guys from great programs, um, fiery kind of guys, speed, toughness. So, you know, this is going to up improve their uh, special teams as well. And obviously Elijah, you know, returning punts and kickoffs maybe. But the Carter kid, the running back from North Carolina, he's very good. I think he's underrated because of the uh, other running back they had there, Williams. Yep. So he might be sneaky, but – you know, as they ran with San Fran, they had, you know, four or five running backs at different points of the season that were out there, you know, in that offense in the zone read going for 100 yards in a game. You know, and they brought Tevin Coleman, one of the guys from over there. So they can't have enough running backs on that team. Certainly he's one that's going to contribute. Yeah, the Michael Perrine kid from last year, he uh, yeah. as soon as the draft was over, he put out a tweet, uh, something, something to the effect of, I love it when people sleep on me. Something. Yeah. So he's, well, he's, yeah. It's uh, it's tough because he came and you know he did pretty well, and then they come in and bring in a you know a whole whole bunch of new running backs. You know, you can't help but get offended. But it's just competition, and competition's great for a team. Absolutely, especially on the offensive line, but everywhere. Yeah. And like you said, that point you said is perfect. Special teams. I mean, yeah. I know the kickoff is going away and it's not as important anymore. And the percentage is low. They got it. They still have to fix the onside kick rule because ha- these teams having no chance at the end of the games when they can't right. recover onside kicks, they got to fix that. But I understand the safety issues, but still special teams is critical. And if you're deep, you're going to have a better special teams. Um, right. You know, this week, OTAs, great sign. We, we talked about the, the new atmosphere and the new um, coaching staff and regime. Great sign that, I think it was Kim Jones reported that over 80 players were at the facility this week. I mean, I, if, you're Jet, if you're a Jet fan right now, you got to be doing cartwheels because that is an incredible thing. Um, what, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean... You look around the league and there's guys who are they're making a point and fighting not to have to show up, whether it be for COVID reasons or whatever else, you know, else is going on. So for 80 guys to show up, that'll show you the connection that Coach Sal has made with his team writing, with his leaders, you know, to get these young guys and all these guys to come in and, uh, and, and start early. So they're going to have a leg up on these teams that, you know, aren't there and, you know, people are choose to work out at home. You know, and then I see guys are getting hurt at home and they're voiding their contracts. So, you know, they did not have to worry about that situation in New York is great. But, um, yeah, I mean, they really didn't have mini camp last year. So to have the rookie camp and now have the vets there. Yeah, they're they're way ahead of the game compared to other teams that have, you know, a low turnout uh, compared to the team. Absolutely. And 
on Instagram just uh, maybe an hour ago, Zach Wilson or one of his teammates, it might've been Brandon Eccles, one of the new DBs went live on Instagram and it, uh, it showed, I saw, I saw a couple screenshots. It showed them all hanging out on a patio somewhere. Yeah. Um, so it's good. They're, they're getting acclimated with each other. Uh, Elijah Moore and Zach Wilson also went to a restaurant with Zach Wilson's dad a couple weeks ago in Morristown, I believe, or the Morristown area. So, you know, Going back to Zach Wilson, everything in terms of leadership, in terms of the feel-good vibes, it, uh, it feels pretty good. Yeah, camaraderie. That's the biggest thing on the team, spending time with each other. You know, not only knowing each other on the field, but knowing each other off the field. You know, you kind of get that brotherhood feel to it. Right. You know, and then when you're in there and the tough days of training camp and everything going on, you know, you kind of look to each other and, you, you know, you lift each other up. And it starts now. It starts when you first get there. Like I said, the fact that they're all there, they're going to have that. You know, the fact that they could spend extra time on and off the field, it's it's a great thing, especially for these young guys coming in. And, you know, I look at all sports different. Like the NBA is a talent league, right? It's just, you got to have that superstar. Um, NFL, it's a value league. It's it's a, as you said, a teamwork league, a a 53, 90-man league. And I looked at it this way too. Football is the one sport where the nature of the sport, 16 games, now 17 games, that's going to get weird, by the way, trying to predicting a record instead of saying 10 and six, going 10 and seven. Uh, But football, I feel like, let me know if I'm on track here. I feel like if you're, football is the sport where you could really outplay your talent or underplay your talent. And it, based on momentum and locker room feel, especially early in the season, is that true where you could really get a great start and overplay your talent more so than other sports? Yeah. It, you know, NFL, it's a system league. I mean, look at the pa- Patriots all, all these years. They got guys you never even heard of third, fourth, fifth, sixth guys in the depth chart that fill in and they fit the system. Uh, like you said, in the NBA, it's, it's, it's superstars. So uh, you can get away with that a little more in the NFL. Um, it's, it's depth, you know what I mean? Having the guys, you know, you know, uh, you know, 40 through 53 in their roster that could do multiple things, you know, you know, things happen during the season. It happens all the time. And, you know, guys, the teams are shot. They don't have enough guys in there to back them up. And it's a good mix of young and old, but the NFL is a system league that you could just plug in different guys and you don't miss a beat. And I think that's what the, you know, coach Sal is working on right now with the, and Joe Douglas with the amount of guys they brought in, you know, he plays a young and old, you know, uh, you know, new system, you know, new coaching staff and, uh, you know, they're going to grow together. Yeah. Douglas, he, he searches for those high character guys, right? Yeah. Um, Great locker room guys. I mean, you can't, you can't put a, you know, a a price tag on that. I mean, just just last year having guys like Frank Gore in there, guys like that, guys like Jamison Crowder, you know, those guys, you know, you can't, like I said, it's priceless. The the experience they can give to these young kids and make them comfortable, you know, uh, in the new surroundings. And, uh, you know, that's part of the team that you need. How do you feel about Richard Sherman? Because I, you're going to overpay him if, if you, he were to come to the jets, doesn't look like it's going to happen. But uh, I like to your point, he, him in that room for those DBs, yeah. Salah's system, you know, yeah. a lot of cover four, a lot of cover three, bail, uh, tall corners who who want to attack the ball at the high point. I think that would be invaluable to grab Sherman. 
Yeah, and he fits right into the system. He's been in the system. He knows Coach Salah. And, uh, you know, like you said, you know, I got to the point in my career, you know, towards the end of my career when they were bringing in young guys like Jericho Cotri and, you know, guys like that who were going to be my, my uh, you know, replacement at some point. And I was all for spending extra time with him, um, you know, give him the little, uh, you know, tips I use over my career to like uh, succeed. And Sherman's the kind of guy like that. You know, he's not going to be like, I don't want to help these young guys. He's going to take my spot. He's the guy that's going to come in. He knows he's got his spot. You know, he knows he's a, you know, a future pro bowl, maybe a future hall of fame kind of guy. And he's going to, you know, take advantage of these young guys and, uh, you know, wanting to learn. And uh, I think he'd be a terrific fit uh, on this team uh, this year. Yeah. Cotri, there's another fan favorite. I mean, when, when the Jets lost him during that Rex Ryan era, that was such a huge I mean, under the radar impact, it was yeah. huge to that team. I mean, yeah, maybe the performance, the production didn't match up to warrant keeping him, but it's not just about the stats. It's never just about the production. Um, you know, and he was, he came out of nowhere in 2006. So whatever you did with him <laughs> those first two years, that was a pretty solid job, Wayne. Yeah, he's, he's a good kid. And like you said, he's, oh, he was just full of questions. Why did you run this way? What did you see from the defense? And I loved that. I loved what, you know, I was, uh, had Santana come in and I had Lavernius came in. Those guys were just like sponges. They absorbed everything I had to say. And when you have that, create that competition, it only makes you better. So, I mean, and it's your duty, you know, as a senior, you know, in, in the league to, uh, to, to take care of these young guys and take them under your wing. And he's certainly one that, uh, you know, I'm very proud of how he, uh, how he succeeded in the NFL. Yeah, Lavernius. We'll we'll be talking a lot about him as we go along in this podcast for sure. There'll be lots of Lavernius stories. Lots yeah. of lots of Lavernius <laughs> stories and other stories for sure. Yeah. And that you guys, I mean, Jets fans, you can't miss that. I'm telling you. Um, but yeah, Kachery, that was huge. It's a character thing. And the other the other part, the other aspect of Douglas and how he builds teams is value. It's character. It's fans. I'm telling fans roll their eyes every time they hear the word culture, but. Yeah. It's so critical. And Douglas, when he first came, this is why I thought he was legit from the get-go. Everyone has good things to say about him. He said, and he said the right thing right off the bat. He's, he w- didn't shy away from it. He said it starts with the quarterback in both lines. He didn't say best available player, talented player. He started from the root, the quarterback in both lines and culture. And the fact that he said those things on day one was such an encouraging sign to me. Right. Yeah, um, he pegged it. That's exactly what it is. And like he, like I said, he's got a good mix of young and all right now. I'm so excited what they you know, in the front seven they have right now on the defense line with the young guys they got and the in the vets they brought in. Um, they're taking they've taken control of that. Um, you know, a lot of teams, like I said, wanted to go out there, you know, and sign the big names. But uh, the guys he's brought in, uh, I think it as talented as you can get. For, for the value that he got them for. You know what I mean? It's, it's not, money's not all tied up in one or two guys. I mean, he spread it around, and I think that's why they're looking to succeed. Yeah, and the other trend is he signed guys that were young, 26, right off their fourth year, right. uh, their fourth year in the rookie deal. Uh, guys who didn't quite meet – they're good. They're talented. They're good guys. They're good locker room guys but they didn't quite meet the expectation. Like Corey Davis, fifth overall pick for Tennessee. Right. He produced, especially in year four, but he didn't meet that expectation. 
Um, Jared Davis, Detroit, another first round pick, didn't meet expectations. He's hoping the best is yet to come with those guys. So that's where the value comes in uh, on top of the culture, on top of the um, character driven stuff. Yeah, with the kid from uh, Detroit. I mean, this kid could play. Yeah. I mean, he's a high pick. He's very talented and he'll fit into that system. And people are going to be surprised. Like, well, where'd this guy come from? You know what I mean? How's this guy didn't succeed in Detroit, but he's, you know, outstanding player for the Jets. I mean, that's the kind of guys they've, they've found. Um, and that's why I'm so, uh, so excited to see what else they're going to do this year. What are the moves, you know, going to be made during, you know, preseason when the cuts are made and stuff like that. They're definitely, they're putting a great team together. I'm so excited to be able to go back to the games and root for them. And I'm sure a lot of fans are as well. Yeah. And the other thing is too, with that four man pass rush that looks scary right now with Curry and Lawson and Q and Rankins, there are seven, eight deep. And yeah, you Curry got it. in there, right? You said, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's seven and eight deep. You got to rotate up front. And yeah. I mean, if that's clicking on all cylinders, he, I know they're light at linebacker. I know they're light at corner, but he picked the right positions to load up on yeah. because it's playing the percentages, the four man rush, uh, the D line, uh, four three, which is something we could talk about too, maybe a little bit, but O line, D line, it it helps everything behind it rather than it. It's not the same the other way around. Yeah, it seems like you know you get these four guys line up against us in previous years, and they're getting to getting to our quarterback. You know, like how is this happening when mm-hmm. we're we're calling on to do blitzes and stunts to get to the quarterback? If you have four guys up front that could just put that kind of pressure, like Lawson could wreak havoc back there. I mean, you could play any kind of coverage behind it if you yeah. could do it with four guys. And uh, that's why I'm excited about Salah, you know. And, you know, you could see how he, how he is with his, his players in San Fran, how he gets excited. He's very motivational. He's very emotional. Um, and you just, you know, with the talent that he has there, you know, and the, the culture, like you said, culture, he's creating there with the young and the old. Um, they're going to have one of the top defenses in the league, I believe. Yeah, he, he's so pumped. On a regular basis, he needs a guy to hold him back. What's it yeah, called? Yeah, the, 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 the get back guy. Yeah, the get yeah. back guy. Yeah. <laughs> One of our writers at JetX, Joe Blewett, wants to be that uh, get back guy, but yeah. I don't think uh, they're going to hire him, to be honest. No. Uh, they, yeah, they need a, sorry, Joe, but they need a, Sal is pretty, you know, he's, I'm not saying you're weak, but they need a stronger guy, I'm going to say. It's not a great job being the get back guy because basically you're, you got a coach who's in the moment excited and you're, you got to kind of like, be Debbie Downer and keep pulling him back and keep pulling him back, pulling him back. But uh, that's the kind of guy you want. You want that kind of fire, you know, leading your team. Yeah, it's uh, harkens back a little to Herm Edward. Herm, Herm was different. He he picked his spots. It felt like, mm. um, but yeah, it kind of harkens back to him. If you're thinking of Jets history, Rex Ryan, of course, too. And Rex Ryan, as much as he got after the quarterback, like you said. It was a lot of elaborate blitzes. You yeah. never had that conventional rush that could just stay. He could just say, all right, go for it. Right. Yeah, it's, been, it's different. Completely different game these days now. All the creative defenses they come up with. But these, this, like I said, these guys are going to get there. These guys are going to get there. I, I know they will. I've seen them do it in the past. And uh, I've seen Salah and how he takes talent and gets and kicks it up a notch. And, um, you know, they got the right guys in there. And like I said, I haven't met Coach Sal yet, you mm-hmm. know, but I've seen enough, uh, you know, footage of him and in interviews and stuff like that to know that he's, you know, he's the right guy for the job to lead this organization. Yeah, the first day of rookie minicamp, he um, 
He was right there in the thick of things when everyone was stretching, greeting players, rah-rahing it up, the yeah. whole coaching staff. He even came over to the media, you know, Simini and Costello, and introduced himself right away to those guys. So he engages. He's not afraid yeah, to he, engage. He makes you feel like you belong. Makes you feel like you're part of it. Even like, a, a, you know, besides the, the players and the coaches, everybody involved. And that's what you want. Right. You know, you want to be a part of the community um, and, and be the support for them. Um, and we haven't, I haven't always had that. We didn't always have that when I was there. Um, and like you, you mentioned Herm Edwards and he was a big guy that believed in that, you know, having the family around, have the family come around, friends come around and uh, just having that family atmosphere, family barbecues. And it doesn't seem like a big deal, but when you could do that and uh, you know, it just, it just adds so much more to the experience of being in the NFL like in the beginning of my career, it was like you left the complex and it was nothing. There was no relationships. There was no connection. And the fact that they're bringing, like you said, a culture, they're bringing that to the organization. It definitely is going to help them be successful. Yeah. And I think uh, another underrated thing is the ownership is doing a great job in terms of. Yeah. Some, some people don't think it's a big deal. I, I kind of think it's a bigger deal the way they set up the hierarchy where previously the coach and the GM would report to the owner. I right. kind of like a hierarchy in football where the GM oversees everything. And then the coach obviously oversees his staff. You know, two years right. ago when they hired Gase, there were reports out there. I don't know if they're true or not that, you know, Greg Williams was pushed onto the next head coach. Matt rule had a lot to say about that week one opponent, obviously. Um, but I love what Christopher and Woody have been doing. Yeah. Uh, listen, I'll never let anybody badmouth those guys to me. I know. Um, you know, a lot of times, you know, I'm on social media. I see what people say, but Woody, Woody took care of me. Woody's yep. a great owner and Christopher did a great job. You know, when Woody was away, you know, I love Christopher. We've had some great conversations over the past couple of years on, uh, and on his vision for the team, you know, his family's vision for the team and, and where they want to go. And uh, they, they've taken every step in the last two years, I think, of what they've done to uh, bring that to the organization, bring that to the fans. Yeah. And it's New York. I mean, the owner's always going to get it left and right. You know, yeah. it's, I'm sure they know that, but has some of it been unfair? Absolutely. Has some of the media stuff been unfair about with the Jets organization? Absolutely. But you have to understand the game, you know, the media, yeah. they're, they're looking for attention. They're looking for traffic. The most yeah. rabid, the most rabid fan bases, the most starving fan bases, yeah. the best fan bases are usually the target. Because whether it's positive or negative, you'll get the most attention if you produce a story. So you got to you got to always take that in stride and just keep that in the back of your mind. Yeah, listen, like you said, New York is starved. You know, Jet fans are starved for for a championship or a deep playoff run or some kind of success year. You know, compared to what it was last year, I tell people, you know, two wins last year. No way that I see that coming, but it happened. You know, and you know, onto the onto the new, but uh, you know, like I said, Woody and, and Christopher are doing everything they can do. You know, like I said, they took care of me when I was there, yep. and uh, they have a vision that you know they're going to bring a Super Bowl to uh, to New York. Uh, he said they get a lot of criticism, but uh, bottom line is, I would not want to play for for anybody else. Uh, uh, you know, as a, as a player, and they care too. They like you could see, you know, they care. I mean, yeah. you see it. Um, so yeah, everything's looking good. Um, week one should be fun. That's for sure. Good thing about the schedule. I guess we'll, we'll close it out talking about the schedule real quick before we go on to episode two, where we dig into some of the old stuff, uh, with Wayne, 
the schedule, how do you feel about the 17 week schedule? I, I remember when I was a kid, there was still 16 games, but at a couple seasons, there was two buys, not just one. I'm surprised they haven't gone to two buys with the 17 week schedule. Yeah, it's tough. You know, people say, oh, it's just one more game, but it's, you know, 17 games is, is a lot, you know, and less preseason, one less preseason game, which affects guys like myself, you know, the lower draft pick guys, the undrafted guys, you know, having that one last uh, chance to showcase yourself in that fourth preseason game. And obviously for the starting O&D, you know, they basically don't play in the last game. So now they're not going to play in the third or last, you know, third yep. game. I mean, you know, it, usually defenses are ahead of offenses, you know, at the beginning of the year. Uh, but they need that preseason the offenses to kind of get in, in stride. So I don't know, you know, 17, 16 games wouldn't affect me. But some, for some reason, you know, a lot of people are, are hating on, on the idea of playing an extra game. But, uh, hey, play ball, man. It's, uh, it is what it is. That's why you're the most beloved Jet in history, my friend, right there. Thank you. Um, yeah, no, I'm with you. 17 weeks. I would like to see the second bye, but I'm with you. 100%. I love preseason. Even as a football fan, they need preseason. I thought it was rough last year not having preseason. I understand why they didn't do it, obviously, during the most unique 2020 year. Uh, this year, back to preseason, three preseason games, I believe it is. And again, your career, we'll talk about this moving forward, but your career is much different if there's no preseason. Uh, so that's, that's an interesting thing. And a lot of kids deserve that shot. Yeah, we'll get we'll get into that. You know how my career started, and yep. you know, uh, you know, evolution uh, of the preseason with me going from, you know, not playing the first game to essentially starting the. You know, what I mean, it's just yep. crazy how things happen. But uh, like you said, it's a very big disadvantage last year for guys who didn't get a chance to show what they can do, and, and guys like I said that are great in shorts and t-shirts. But yeah. when you put the pads on, things change. Much and, you know, that's, uh, that's what preseason's all about. Yeah, when I put the pads on, I was much slower than my normal slower self, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes that happens to people. You'd be surprised how effective people are when they put the pads on, both uh, physically and, uh, and mentally. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and how about this? Are you a little bit jealous at all about the – I figure most football players are about the new age technology today the helmets and, and, the, and the pads, it's just everything's so much, even the gloves. Have you felt the gloves today compared as compared to back in the nineties? Yeah. I didn't really wear the gloves until, yeah, you know, when it got cold out, but cool. um, like my son's a receiver in high school, those gloves and my, uh, you know, my nine-year-old wears the gloves. I mean, he can catch with one hand. I mean, yeah. these things are so sticky. They're ridiculous. They're so sticky, but um, yeah, that's part of technology. The helmets are, you know, safer, but you know, Bottom line is, you know, it's a violent game and every advantage you can get, whether it's the gloves, the helmet or lighter pads or whatever it is, you know, you have to take advantage of it. And once we get to Parcells later, I'm gonna have to ask you about the sleeves and the gloves, because yeah, I, I yeah, remember yeah. one point where he kind of I think he wanted you to wear sleeves and gloves, but we'll, we'll talk about that for another day. Gotcha. All right, Jets fans, episode one of the Underdog Jets podcast is in the books. Wayne, final final thoughts? No. Great first uh, podcast, first of many. You know, hope people keep tuning in. Like you said, the, the second part will be more of my career, you know, how it started and progressed, you know, over 11 years. So looking forward to 
diving into that and reminiscing a little bit and maybe bringing some of my former teammates on. So hope you guys enjoyed it. You know, and, uh, and see you in the next episode. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.